0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Performing Capers podcast. I'm Tommy Small, I'm the Artistic Director of Shaper Caper, and today I'm joined by one of our wonderful, gorgeous board members and trustees, Alan McIntyre. So, hello Alan, how are you? I was expecting a round of applause, but that's fine, we'll let it, we'll let it slide. <laughs> I am good, living my best furlough lockdown life. How have you been enjoying, have you found any like new hobbies or anything during lockdown? or? Well, at the start, I was working from home
1: for a few days when lockdown happened, and then I was furloughed quite quickly, and also was a shielder. That was really fun for I would probably say two or three weeks. It was quite nice. And then quite quickly, it was awful because you lose all purpose and you lose worth. And so, trying just to get through each day. Becomes a bit of a challenge. And I'm saying that and kind of going, oh, woe is me. But actually, at the same time, I'm really aware that I'm still alive. And so by comparison, then it's been not so bad. And that's not to be kind of flipping. It's just a horrible thing. And after probably about six or eight weeks, I was like, right, I need to do something. So when I was really young, I remember learning how to knit. And then I forgot how to knit. And it just wasn't a thing. So I thought, well, since Amazon deliver all the time, I'm just going to buy some knitting needles and some wool and I'm going to teach myself to knit with YouTube. I still haven't learned to cast off because um, that's really hard to do. Long way to go, not knitting any scarves yet, even though the scarves are essentially just long rectangles. It's been a funny old time and yet, like I say, lucky because I was protected, even though it was grim and even though I was having to protect myself, And that's, I suppose, the best you can hope for during this. Yeah, it's a
0: very, very strange time. And we've had lots of conversations about, yeah, shielding and what that feels like. Positive to hear about the knitting. That's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've not seen it. So, (laughs) actually, somebody came into the house the other day, because I'm allowed to do that now, and they were like, oh, I really love that ornament with the wool. And I was like, it's not an ornament. That's just,
0: like, my (laughs) knitting. Oh my god, that could be the thing that you have. It's like you make or- ornaments out of knitting. Well, it's knit. it's more that it's just it's just um a ball of wool with some needles in it and some knitting that I've done. I'm sure Tracy Emin would be like all over that thinking, yes. So the listeners might be wondering then, yeah, who is this Alan McIntyre? Who is she? So what if you could tell us a little bit about you know, who you are, where you're from? I'm a Virgo. Although Mice was one of the star signs that changed, so I can't even make that really hilarious joke about star signs now. But, apparently, NASA has came out and said, actually, that was a big hoax. That's not very funny, NASA. I know. It was somebody wrote a blog post about this, like in 2012, and said there's actually like 13, is it, constellations? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Awkward. Star signs? (laughs) Dance is my thing, not star signs. I maybe should have done more research before starting to talk about all this. Yeah, uh, but they, they decided that the uh, the astrology people all those years ago said that they didn't want to go for thirteen, so they went with twelve to match the calendar months. Okay, well
1: then, in which case I'm still a Virgo. I'm a very typical Virgo, according to our friend Lindsay. Lived and brought up in a village just outside Motherwell. I think I was I was a fairly really normal kid in some respects, but. Looking back, and if I was being brought up now, I definitely had ADHD. It was undiagnosed then because I was able to have naps during the day um, and because I could concentrate in one thing at a time. But I couldn't really. I was concentrating on jigsaws because I loved jigsaws. I couldn't concentrate on anything else. So it meant that I couldn't go to like a specialist nursery or a mainstream nursery. So my poor mother then just had to not work for five years until I could go to school. And I was I, th- I was actually a fairly shy kid until, well, I have an older sister and she danced and she went to children's theatre and stuff like that. I loved going and seeing her shows and things like that. And then this day that we went down for the auditions. I suppose that was the first time that I experienced white male privilege because I didn't need to audition because there weren't many boys. I suppose even at that young age, I didn't really appreciate that I kind of found my tribe. And found people who were like me and cared about the same stuff that I cared about. And it it wasn't just based on where I lived or the school I went to. Which I think is quite lucky. Yeah, went to secondary school and hated it. Not because I couldn't do it. I absolutely could. I just had a really miserable time. What happened in the end was... I left school without the qualifications that I needed because I was going to go and be in musical theatres. And so it was a case of, well, what do I have least experience in and then? Well, dance. So maybe what I'll do is I'll just I'll move to Dundee and go to college because they've got a good dance course there. Bulk out my skills a little bit before I then went and auditioned uh, to go and do musical theatre. And then I just really loved it. I was in Dundee for two years. And then moved to London and went to Laban for another two years to finish my degree there. The world just opened up. I, but I was also the type of kid that was desperate to leave home as well. Mm. Not because I hated my family or I hated where I lived in Edinburgh. I just wanted to see and do more. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to do that as quickly as possible. And actually, even with shielding, I was saying this to you just the other day, that when I was allowed to go into shops again, I did it on that morning because I thought, I can't allow this to become a thing that I keep thinking about. I need to take a wee bit of control of myself a wee bit. And I think that was the mindset then as well. I need to take myself out of this kind of comfortable normality. And I need to go and
0: meet people and experience stuff. Now, that's really interesting you talk about musical theatre because, of course... I know that then later down down the line, you actually then were doing bits of teaching in musical theatre colleges. Having known you all these years, I don't think I'd put those two things together. I hadn't either. Yeah, we were, we were destined because I was an organist in another life. It was It Never Forget. It was a Take That song that was your absolute no, icon. No, it was um, Oasis, Champagne Supernova." Oh yeah, that was my Macaul- calling card. Played it in all the churches in Dundee, whether you liked <laughs> it or not. So, isn't that really interesting that actually I used to play all those musical hits, and then yeah, you were dancing away there, and then we both ended up working together in musical theatre colleges, which is very fun. Which is not how we met. Let's talk about how we met then. What do you remember? Well,
1: we met when I was a student in Dundee because you and your dancers from the company at the time came to do a residency. Now, I can't remember if that was my first or second year, but I feel like it was the end of my first year. So that would have been like 2002. Again, it was like the world opening up a little bit more because when I was a student the space, there were so few boys. I think there was maybe like five or six boys in in the whole place. I just feel like I was the only boy in my year for a long time and I'm sorry if somebody's listening to this going I went to college with you and I was in your year. (laughs) And there were boys in other years but it was the need to open that up again as well because I was then the best boy in my year because who was the competition? There was that kind of competitive edge to it. Talking about knitting earlier on that's the type of personality I have. I don't want to learn how to do something I want to be good at something and I want to be good at it as quickly as possible, and I don't have a huge amount of patience. Which, again, in hindsight, probably didn't do me so many favours with some people who've taught me over the years. Is that how you remember it? Or do yeah. you just remember this obnoxious <laughs> idiot?
0: Yeah, you just perfectly described that you were pretty much the only boy there. Um, I, I was racking my brain to think about other boys as well, but um, then... But I can't remember any of them, but like you really stood out as like the dancer. where We were all like, oh, he's really good. And there was a solo that they're pretty pretty demanding. But I think you ended up, did you not do the female part?
1: I was going to say, I feel like I did. And I think what was most obnoxious was, I'm sure I was still only in first year, like Mm. I said. And so being asked to do that when I was in first year versus the third years who were going, "Eh, why do you get to do it? (laughs) and I just I had no time for that I was just like sorry not sorry watch me watch me be amazing oh my god is that my
0: leg getting my head (laughs) egomaniac <laughs> that's what I really remember cut to various kind of interactions like that of bits of workshops and things but then the next thing I remember is then being in London and you were training in London and you came and saw a show that we were doing at Jackson's Lane two years later and I remember that's when I feel like actually like I really got to know you from that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a, in a completely different context. It was the first experience of then being on a night out with Alan McIntyre. <laughs> Ended up in McDonald's. It seemed to be like the way of the world all the time back in those days. So that's when I like really remember that first night and actually us having such a laugh. I was in London.
1: I only knew one person, really, um, who was the year above me uh, when I was in Dundee, who was also going to Laban on a different course. And I was like, right, what are we doing? Oh, let's go and see a show, sounds amazing. Oh my God, let's go out. I, I don't even remember where we went to, but I do remember ending up at McDonald's it Then just became the routine and getting on the night bus and falling asleep.
0: Yeah, I actually genuinely can't remember like the next steps. I think we then just started meeting in bars and stuff or we'd be in a bar and you'd be there, then we'd kind of blether and before we knew it, we became really good friends.
1: And I then did a project with you then as a dancer, fully snowballed from there. To the point that I then came to visit one New Year's Eve and didn't leave your house for nine months. Oh my goodness, that is absolutely
0: (laughs) hilarious. So, are you living here? (laughs) So then you danced with my former company, Small Petit Climb. I got offered a job in Dundee. You moved back as well, maybe like three, four months before that? Yeah. It was challenging finding work.
1: It, it actually is not necessarily always about how good you are at something. I think I'd come to the end of my tether living in London and living at that pace because I think that's the thing that I really remember. And I just came to the end of the kind of end of my energy.
0: You would then back at around the same time in Dundee because I then moved back to Glasgow. In 2010, we got some money from then Scottish Arts Council at the time to work with Y Dance on an all-male project, and then that evolved into other things. You worked as a producer, creative learning manager, like you were social media guru at one point. But I I think what was quite nice
1: when I worked with to Klein was I was a dancer, but even before I started at the space, I had started kind of assisting classes and stuff like that in the youth theatre that I was a part of, and so education was always something that I did yeah it was an amazing thing but um taught me a lot i feel really lucky i didn't at the time at the (laughs) time i'm like oh my god this is just so hard but actually quite quickly in hindsight looked back and saw yeah i can take on the world if i want to do that and actually so can everybody else that's done this job then being part of small decline we needed to be resilient when i first saw what was SPK at the time when I was a student, I, I was seeing people dance in a way that I hadn't seen people dance before. And so to see something that was so physical and so energetic, but also with hundreds of legs, which I loved, was amazing. And then some of those things we, we still see today, you know, I remember the first version of Fallen Man, which then
0: Led to within this dust. Absolutely, you know, it's so funny you should say that because we went on many trips to New York with within this dust, which was yeah hilarious. But then Brazil, hello! Oh. I mean, that was like something else. I remember both of us going a little bit early because you know got to got to yeah take advantage of situations as much as one can. We ended up um, going as São Paulo Pride. Poland. The biggest Pride festival in the world. I remember we got there and we were like, we'll have two vodka and diet three quarters vodka, and oh. not even a quarter actually, or mixer. It was like the tiniest little splashing of, of mixer. Um, and we drank about three of those, and then ended up missing the whole of the world's We were like, this is good. <laughs> and we put the world to rights, and just blethering, chatting, laughing. And we got outside, we're like, let's go to Pride. And we got outside, it was over. <laughs> We missed it. We missed the whole thing.
1: Genuinely, my liver hurts just thinking about that. It wasn't because we were then going to get like really, really drunk. That wasn't the point. It was, well, nothing's happening yet, so let's kill some time. And I really remember us trying to find somewhere. Is there a restaurant we can go and sit in so that we don't uh, miss anything? That was brutal. Looking back, it's so dangerous.
0: I feel like I did go, though, because obviously I didn't want to get FOMO, but oh yeah no you did you did go I remember like banging on your door for about half an hour going come on (laughs) let's go let's go Um, yeah but what amazing stuff you know it's it's the kind of stuff that people
1: don't have opportunities like and it was it was such a great thing that you know I often think about it in this way to try and help calm my brain a bit that you know what we do does not save lives we we are not saving lives but equally we we enhance people's lives and we make it better having a job where you can do stuff like that Mm. is is amazing and a total privilege regardless of how hard you need to work because it was hard work i remember that really clearly you know at the time we were such a tiny team who were just deciding, right? We're going to do a festival, and we're going to take the whole country to Brazil that we've never been abroad before, and unstoppable. That kind of that energy and that drive to make that stuff happen was amazing. We're just very lucky, I think, to to be able to do things like that. And again, I say that on furlough when I'm just trying to stay interested in life. <laughs>
0: yeah you're saying you're on furlough so I guess that kind of leads into where you're at now so maybe you could tell everyone what your job is now so I've had some really interesting jobs and
1: a lot of the time I suppose I've always had this notion that I work in the arts so I'm not necessarily here to make loads of money so I don't necessarily have that kind of ambition or drive to get higher and higher and higher it was just I wanted to do really interesting stuff so <sighs> managing the the North East Youth Arts Hub for as part of the Year of Young People for Cape Scotland with APA which was amazing and I loved working there but it was fixed in and then after that going to work in b a and Dundee a museum of design as a non-designer nor a non-museum person, that was a bit odd, but also great. This is probably going to sound to be dull, but a few years ago, I had a job that actually I really, really hated, but also thought, I need to see it through, I need to stick it out. Thinking, right, well, what path is in front of me? And and that's where the job at Aberdeen came up. And, and I suppose when I applied for that job, that was a total change of mindset for me because I didn't go to that job thinking, oh, I hope I get it. I went to that job interview thinking... I know that I'm the right person for this. And I want to have a conversation with you because I need you to know that because I really want to come and work here. Mm. And that's, I suppose, what then led me to do the same at V&A Dundee. I don't think I would have applied for that job a few years ago because I didn't come from a museum or heritage background. And I wasn't a designer. I was a former dancer and that was enough. And so the day that I kind of decided, right, I need to, to move on to something else now, I went on LinkedIn and set up some job alerts for three different companies who I won't name, thinking these are the places I want to work. That's the point I'm at in my life, that I want to work in the places with people that I think I can offer something, but also can offer something to me. And the next day, the creative learning manager at McRobert job came up. And so I got my alert the next day and got it in. And that job was meant to be... I'm sure that was in the February, and it was meant to be until the end of April, and that was then extended. And I'm now finding myself in a permanent role with that organisation. It's amazing. It's amazing to be in a place where creativity is just everywhere, and also. It pushes me to do things that aren't necessarily 100% my bag. I, I remember having a conversation uh, with one of my team at the time when we were hanging an exhibition of young people's work, and she's like, I've never hung an exhibition before. and I'm like, well, let's hang an exhibition and find out how to do that then. What else are we going to do? Just leave it on the floor and hope for the best. There's also the cinema, there's the, the two different performance bases. And also just the bread, the, the work that McRobert as an organisation does and that I've also been able to, to help implement is, is great. We work with an amazing group of veterans. Some of the stuff they do is, is incredibly transformational. So actually, I kind of take back a little bit earlier on when I said we don't save lives because I know for some of those participants especially... That is a lifesaver. That is meaning in their week to to, to come along to those sessions. Similarly with their relaxed events, they're aimed at people who are living with dementia and their carers, but also just open to people who would benefit from a relaxed environment. So that could be music or dance or performance, or sometimes we have cinema with live music playing, which is amazing. And then projects like Dance for Parkinson's with Scottish Ballet and Dance Base. Again, it's, it's transformational stuff. It's very clearly not there to fix anything or to remove a condition that people are living with. But the difference that you see, the physical difference of watching somebody before they go into a session to after they've left that session is mind-blowing to see how, how transformation the apps can be. And, and again, I just think we're dead lucky to be able to do things like that and to make people's lives a bit better somehow. If they want it, I'm not gonna like hit people around the head with it, even though I think it's amazing. It's fine if you don't. That's totally cool. Netflix is also pretty good. But once you finish Netflix, like I feel I have during this furlough period, I don't think there's anything left. Mm. You know, think about some of those other things. Think about giving stuff a try that you wouldn't necessarily normally try and kinda open yourself up a little bit to, to what's possible in the world.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's a really beautiful way to end. Obviously, Alan, as I said at the beginning, is one of our trustees, and I'm sure you can see why throughout this conversation with, with Alan's experience and his view on life and on the arts, you can see why we're so so grateful that Alan volunteers his time for us and has been a, a really brilliant supporter of Shape the Caper and my work over the years. And we're absolutely delighted to have him on board, on the board. Oh, look at that, we wee pun. So, thank you so much, Alan, for joining us today. It's all right. It was absolutely my pleasure. I mean, you, you
1: say that, you know, you're thankful for me giving up my time. It feels like a real privilege, again, to to be part of a company that cares about the things that Caper care about, that is just the trying to make the world a better place than before you arrived. That is something that is a real privilege to be part of. So, thank you all for doing your stuff and being great to and easy to support. thank you very much
0: well thank you everyone for listening at home and for joining us today and we'll be back again next week with another Performing Capers podcast, thanks very much